Welcome to the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium podcast, where we dive deep into conversations with technology and operations thought leaders from across the legal ecosystem. This is Clock Talk. I'm your host, Jen McCarran. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix legal operations and technology team. This is our third Art of the Possible podcast sponsored and developed by EY Law, where I interview Eric Elfman, CEO of Onnit, and Duke Tran, Senior Manager, EY Law Legal Function Consulting. And we're getting into it. Matter Management, arguably one of the Legal Ops Foundation's instrumental in making legal departments more efficient. We talk about how it began, how it evolved, and ways you can leapfrog your matter management strategy forward into the future. And now, Episode 3 in the EY Law Sponsored Series, Art of the Possible. Eric, Duke, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thrilled to be here, Jen. Thank you, Jen. I'm excited to be here today. So today, the three of us are going to get into one of the biggest topics in the legal operations and tech space, one of the biggest competencies for making a law department more efficient in areas we focus on, matter management. Yes, we're going there. And it's inescapable to have to tackle this and try to automate it, use technology, use better process to do it in a more efficient way. Can we start out with Eric? Give us a definition of what matter management is. Let's level set here. Yeah, look, I think it's a great place to start. A lot of folks don't even know matter management's been around 44 years. It had its genesis in an insurance company in 1978. It's an old technology as far as legal tech goes. And hey, matter management is a Gen Xer, (laughs) is what you're saying? I was in high school. Gen Xers aren't old. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. As far as legal tech goes, it's one of the older technologies that a company can buy. Got it. And look, what, what was the use case? It was for a corporation to get their arms around all of the details and the notes and the documents and the facts and the court dates and opposing parties about all of their legal matters. It's essentially moving from this red welds, for those who remember what red welds are, these red folders that held all of the details. A folder? Right. What is a folder? (laughs) Somebody listening knows what red welds are. And it was a way as, as things increasingly moved to electronic and the old weighing word processors. Again, people are going to say, What's weighing? What's a word processor? But this is where all of this really started. But here we are 44 years later, and almost $2 billion has been spent by corporations on matter management technology. It's serious. Now, Duke, from where you see the world, is matter management, is it a law firm thing? Is it an in-house legal department thing? Is it both? And is it the same if it's both? There are similarities on the law firm side. You tend to hear about case management and attorneys using tools to collaborate and manage large scale, very document intensive legal projects. Within an in-house legal department, matter management is similar, but goes beyond that and involves tracking both internal and external activities relating to the legal department including areas such as risk and financial management. When I was working for a law firm about 12 years ago, there was a big push 
by the law firm's clients to start ebling, and that's when we saw a big jump in the implementation of matter management and ebling systems and giving the ability for the law firm to submit electronic invoices to their clients. Since then, there's been an increase in the use of these systems and it's been a focus of my work to get these technologies out there and deployed within various in-house legal departments. Got it. So it sounds at the core level, it is the same on both sides. It's about these projects that law firms and in-house counsel collaborate on together, rely on one another for really in-house relying on outside counsel. Outside counsel needs inputs. There's projects, they're called matters. And then what really enveloped around that over the years is e-billing and the administration and code tasking everything of the bills and around these matters that equals matter management. Did I get it? Do we got it? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. That's correct. Awesome. And now all things we talk about in our ecosystem, and we're talking about age and Gen Xers and millennial responses, everything has a maturity scale and kind of an age where something is. What's going to be fascinating in this conversation is, Eric, you're saying it's 44 years old, but what I think we're about to get into is it needs to Benjamin button it. It needs to get simpler and like go back in time and be more about the basics and that something has gotten away from us or maybe some matter management has grown out of hand. But let's talk about the maturity scale in terms of, I don't know, how this plays out in different companies' maturity scales. And what is a young startup pre-IPO or newly IPO in company going to see compared to that financial company that you talk about that you've worked with on Wall Street? And what does matter management and maturity look like in there? And I'll start with you, Eric. Yeah, look, it's a great question. I mean, what younger companies need today is not this 44-year-old matter management system that's become this overly complex enterprise bloated software, much like most enterprise software. And it is interesting, Duke talked about e-billing, but matter management was already 20 years old before someone thought, hey, let's combine it with the financials of the matter, which from my perspective is part of the interesting stuff. If you go back to not just matter management, but most enterprise software, half trillion dollars spent every year on enterprise software, most of it is bought because management wants visibility into the work that some department is doing, which requires data, which requires users to want to use the system to enter the data. It's no different than Salesforce. You need data to be meaningful. And what we really started to realize, even though this is an older industry, most lawyers don't use matter management to manage their legal work. You said the word projects, Jen, and lawyers don't necessarily think of their legal matters as projects, much like I think they probably ought to. And so this evolved as a database to store little bits of information that at the end of the day, lawyers don't enter these little bits of information. And so you don't quite... As they shouldn't. Right, exactly. They should be doing their job and practicing law. And so what we found is you have these big, bloated, complex matter management systems that really didn't move the needle in terms of productivity for lawyers. Matter management, and I'm curious, Duke's view, was not designed to help a lawyer do their jobs better, faster, or cheaper. And so if it doesn't do any of those, lawyers aren't going to use the system and you've got these multi-million dollar pieces of complex software without the data you need to make 
management decisions. So the evolution I think we've seen is to simplification. The evolution of spend management, which is a focus on the spend with a little bit of matter management. Now, that doesn't work for a Fortune 5 company. It's got to be a balance. But the younger the legal department you are, the less complex the legal department, the more we've seen a focus on the spend management side of the spectrum as opposed to the matter. Interesting. You know, when you say younger legal department, when I walked into Spotify, it was fairly young. Spotify was 10 years old about then. And matter management was done on a Google sheet, not even a spreadsheet, a Google sheet. There it was. 15 to 20 matters, no system. And talk about a young environment and a maturity scale. People like me are brought in to help the team hold hands and together jump off the sheet into the first ever application, jump into the picture like they do in Mary Poppins. And that's what we did. And it was starting small, simpler, a few dozen matters and going in from there and then building our life out from there and maturing up. Now, Duke, can you take that approach in a more mature company that's been on a maybe elaborate matter management system? Is it as simple as holding hands and jumping into the simpler picture or a system that does less, but does it really well? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I've been working with a lot of clients on implementing matter management and e-billing systems for the last 12 years. And there is a certain maturity scale that clients go through. Mostly it's, you know, at the beginning, starting out with implementing the system and leveraging the potential cost savings that can be realized from e-billing and really doing very basic matter management and creating basic matters maybe leveraging some of the more simple workflows relating to potentially approving timekeeper rates and the invoice review workflow that can be put in place. But then kind of we see that moving as companies get mature into the use of other matter management functionalities like budgeting and forecasting accruals, potentially AFAs. And then now seeing lots of kind of use around, you know, legal request workflows to help manage work coming into the legal department. And then as we get more and more mature, we see kind of clients thinking about integrating their system with other applications, not just within legal, but across the enterprise as well. So starting to think about, you know, sales and procurement and IT, et cetera. So that's where we kind of see a lot of clients moving along the maturity scale and how they can really make the most of these applications that they probably implemented a few years ago and now kind of starting to think about how to really get more value out of the system. I love the picture you're painting. It almost puts the matter in the center or the hub of the work of the in-house legal departments, lawyers and professionals. It is. It's that matter-centric approach that you know, yeah. we see a lot happening. It's so funny because... I politely disagree only because we're all a product of our experience and our environment. So the way I came up in legal ops and tech was not in matter management. The team I came into at Cisco, we had excellent program managers years in with an intense implementation with Mitra Tech and all the modules lit up and enterprise IT in our group building and customizing those modules. So I was like, oh, you guys are good. So I'm going to turn over here and focus on the rest of this world and what the department and business needed at the time was a knowledge management framework. 
And my leadership and I there used to say, knowledge management is the hub of everything. Because if you don't know what and how information moves across, if people are lost in the dark, finding things or the matter, it's also costing money. So it's so interesting, the perspective of it all. And others could say, have never worked on either and go in a high volume shop. The contract is the hub of everything because is it, it does it enable a lot of the sales or the revenue bearing stuff inside a company, it may. So back to matter management, we're going to go with it. Matter management, I'm learning today, is almost the centerpiece of it all. And when you say some teams can even put legal intake in front of this, kind of expand a matter management framework to take in any work for the department, whether it's matter centric or not. I do agree with you that knowledge management is important. And you mentioned kind of accessing the information quickly and easily. And to me, the matter-centric approach does help with that because if you, for example, have a unique matter ID or some sort of ID that ties the data and the records across your systems together in a way that makes it easy to access and search the document that you need, I think that's where the importance is of having this kind of more matter-centric approach and being able to then quickly and easily access your data. That really breaks it down well. And Eric, it almost sounds to me like, again, I, I have some IT background too. So I'm thinking like the case ID, an IT team thinks right. the ticketing ID, the project or piece of work ID. If you structure the data and the, sort of the data model right, you could have everything in a department related to its project, case or matter ID, and searchable. I think that's right. If you go back to your point at Cisco, I think you were able to focus on knowledge management because you already had the foundation of matter management in place. It was so built. Yeah. yeah. Had that not been in place, I would have been building that. Exactly. Exactly. And so, look, I think about it as, you're building a house. Uh, matter management is not sexy. Look, hopefully that's not offensive to anybody, but it is a foundational piece of technology, just like for a lot of companies, document management is foundational. And you really can't get to the creative, innovative types of things that I think you've been able to do in your career, Jen, without that as kind of a baseline. But all of that being said, it doesn't help the legal department push the legal actions further, right? It doesn't help the lawyers, as I said earlier, do anything better, faster, cheaper. But but without that, if you're a big company, look, it sounds like you've worked at a lot of young tech companies, even Cisco, relative to some of the 150-year-old financial services firms, is a young company. So you've had the advantage of working for younger, more disruptive companies. But even there, you've got to have this foundational technology in place. If you want to then talk about legal service request and knowledge management, and let me think about my business unit constituents as customers, right? As a lawyer, you want to eventually grow to be thinking in terms of customer service and SLAs. You've got to have this foundational technology as unsexy as it is. Well, it's funny because when you liken it to the analogy of building a house, building a house is quite cool and owning a house is the global dream. Everyone wants that. So taking it into that analogy, there are problems that occur along the way. We make choices and trade-offs and we spend more here or cut our budget there. Where do people go wrong? 
when architecting their matter management? What are some of the problems that we've seen in this space? And how do we get our audience past these problems? Maybe they're starting a matter management endeavor. What can we tell them not to do? And I'll start with you again, Eric. Yeah, look, I would be curious Duke's opinion as well. I think it start with the basics. Over the last 20 years, we've seen over-architecting of matter management systems, making them too complex, making them too brittle, too many handoff points, too many failure points. And so I think there's a real trend to keep it simple, you know, as basic as possible. And what we like to do, even in our contracts with our customers, is tell us what the top three problems you're solving are, and we're going to focus on those three. And we know you have 15 more that we will eventually get to. But if we can't do these top three gray, the rest of it will just be... Prioritization. Absolutely. And there's got to be focus. It's not just focus from the legal ops side. And I know we're not talking about legal ops, but... Wait, why aren't we talking about legal ops? Well, this is a legal ops podcast. Well, but, but I mean, we're not talking about the invention of legal ops or the role of legal ops, but all of oh, that... No, no. Yeah, yeah, all of that is why I think we're in a really good place to think about new implementations today because it's legal ops job to really focus on what is the most important thing to be solved. And so keep it simple. Yes, keep it simple, stupid. And over time, you can grow it to the complexity that you need but start with the basics and really have a focus on not making this thing too complex to start. Duke, what you've seen in your role now, especially at ENY, you consult on this subject and you advise. So that means you're walking in to the burning house or you're walking into big problems. Can you characterize the number one thing you see over and over that it just has to stop? I totally agree with Eric. I think especially with the first few kind of implementations that I've worked on is trying to solve too many problems at the same time and designing the system in a way that we're trying to meet all of the needs that the client may have. So I think what we've learned over time is like Eric said, just, just to really keep it simple, try and go out of the box as much as you can. Yes, what a good tip. Taking a more agile approach to the implementation so that you actually not waiting months or even years before you actually get to see what the system can will look like and what it can do. So really building it out, testing it in chunks so that the users will get a chance to react to the system and be able to adapt and make changes along the way. I think that's really important. And to me, a number one lesson learned throughout my years of implementing these systems. I love the agile approach. It's something everyone in our space needs to adopt regardless of the age of the company. Because here's the truth with technology. It's changing still so fast. User interfaces change. Startups are popping up that solve new problems. We don't know what any of this will look like in 18 months. So to both of your points, the agile approach is, okay, I get it. You want to solve 15 things, 50 things. We're going to solve three and we're going to go live with three. And I know there's 12 more and you're sweating and you're mad, but I hear you and I acknowledge that. And trust me, we're going to get there, but we're going to solve three and go live and use it. And then when you're actually using it, you're going to come back and tell me, you still think those 12, do you still think really? And 95% of the time they come back and the 12 are not the same because real life 
and real experience takes, this is agile. It takes the product where it really wants to go. Not where we thought on a piece of paper based on old times or older systems or older thinking. I love this. And I think we need to teach it and talk about it more. I want to unpack something that you both are dancing around here and something you said, Eric, to me previously, there's this database mentality and there's a workflow mentality. And I think we need to go there. I think we need to get into this now. You mentioned, sure, you can put the database up in front of the lawyer, 1500 fields, matter management form. And they're looking at that going, oh dear God, what have we done? And you work at a workflow company. So tell us more about, is the database model, does it need to die? (laughs) I think being database centric needs to die. You're always going to need somewhere to store this information. And look, I founded one of the first companies that was in the matter management, spend management space. And, And it was through the failure of user adoption even though that company sold an incredible amount of software companies, you know, this idea that lawyers don't use it because they spend their time on yellow pads and in email collaborating and on phone calls. Did we realize, and to paraphrase Bill Clinton, it's about the workflow, stupid. Lawyers are knowledge workers and knowledge workers are process people. They engage in a series of processes in a day. They're not data entry clerks. And we can't turn them into that. I see three main waves of technology here as we're talking about matter management. First was a place to store your matters 44 years ago, 24 years ago, a place to track the dollars that you're spending on those matters and spend management. And 10 years ago, I think it's process. It's about the workflow. And so that's exactly where I think we are today. And you can bolt on workflow to older technologies, the same way Duke talked about with legal service requests, auto sending NDAs. And you know, this is Cisco because y'all did a lot of NDAs. Oh, we did. Yeah. You can provide better customer service with more immediate turnaround of process technology. And so I don't think the database needs to die, but it shouldn't be what we're talking about as we're designing systems. It should be, what are the lawyers doing and what do the lawyers need? I love that approach. You're talking about putting workflow where the fingers of the knowledge workers are as they're running, you know, a process and a workflow means a serial chain of events. It's movement. Database is just a window and you're putting things in and it's depressing to do data entry. How do we get those workflows to do data entry? So it's almost like simplifying is flipping the script. You should almost, what you're saying is start with the workflow and then work your way to the database. If that's needed underneath the system, you'll find out in time. And but what do you think, Duke? Am I on the right track here? Are we flipping the script with workflow and database? I do agree that we should probably rethink the use of databases that are very structured and filtered data and kind of have very specific purposes. I think it's important to make the most of the data that you have to make decisions and to help manage risk. But I think it's kind of how you get that data in a way that's useful. And it's really thinking about, we talked about integrating the systems, but also thinking about how to send data to potentially like a data lake, for example, that really is less structured, less filtered, gives you the ability to extract the information in a way that is beneficial to you. And thinking about using that 
data potentially with the use of like a reporting tool like Tableau or Power BI and create reports and dashboards that can really help make more specific decisions and help you to manage risks in a way that's more specific to your needs. I think this a lot. I say this to startups and I say it to my legal stakeholders. Don't worry about the reporting inside an on it or a simple legal or a legal tracker. Worry less about that because reporting is its own science. It's its own product. Let's focus on the core feature set and make sure the Mitra text, the onits, the simple legals are doing that in a simple, elegant way that makes you not feel oppressed doing data entry and getting the data in. And we'll report in one of those BI tools that you mentioned, business intelligence tools, later and customize that. I see you both nodding. Would you both agree? Forget about reporting. Forget about reporting to start, just like you forget about the database. Not that both aren't important. But with the wrong data, with the wrong information, neither of those other things are important. So from our perspective, from Onnit's perspective, I think you're exactly right, Jen. The, the database creates itself as we design the right workflows. As we talk about a contract, some companies think about contract as the center of the legal department. We should be tracking the life cycle of a contract by someone clicking approve or edit that should be creating the database of the life cycle that you can report on automatically as a result of the work being done in the system. So at the end of the day, for us, it comes back to try and keep people out of email for collaborating, communicating, approving things that have to do with the work of the legal department. Give them a better way to do that that gives them knowledge and information to do their jobs better inside of a system. And if you can do that, your database is being built and the data exists for pretty cool reporting for the GC. Duke, are you keeping people out of email too? Because that's very hard in the legal world. We still love our inboxes. Definitely. And that's where, you know, a lot of these systems with the Outlook plugin or kind of the integrations with the email systems, that's really helpful and really gets attorneys to really use the system more as well. If there's the, the ability to do as much as they can from Outlook or any other email systems that they may have. Eric, did you see what Duke just did? He said, yeah, we're getting out of email by putting tool integration plugins, many apps in their email. I love that. Again, what you're both saying, there they are working. If they can click an action button in the email that triggers to on it, someone approved at 259. There it is. There's your data point for your life cycle, your matter life cycle. I love that. It's a real people-centric design approach we're talking about. Absolutely. And if you do it well enough, you do that click once and you never have to click on that email thread again or from that sender again. And the data just automatically finds its way to the database for that reporting. I agree. I love this. I've learned a lot. In both of our combos here, I've learned so much and you've reinforced in me, this importance of data being the value driver for our businesses, the, the business that the legal team supports, and then the legal ops and tech team supports the legal team supporting the business. It's about the data. It's not about how many fields you can put into a database and just say, we'll just fill it in and we'll have metrics. No, we have to come up with more cunning ways to capture all of this data so that we don't slow people down or 
They don't have to hire 25 data entry clerks who were also won't love that work in two years. They will turn over because any human should turn over and not do data entry work. It's automatable. I absolutely agree. It is automatable. The data is trackable. It's easy to get with the right systems in place. And I talked about three waves of transformation and legal 10 years from now, Jen and Duke, we ought to do this again, because I think AI is the next one. How do we actually use this massive amount of data Hmm. to better predict outcomes, to better predict risk, to better predict the right firms, the higher on matters? There is an incredible amount of data that we are still not using despite collecting it for 44 years. Yeah, we're turning the corner on that, as we all know, right now in the industry, and it's opening days here. So the AI can read through anything you want it to machine read, and it can find repetition very well. And it could go, oh, I recognize this language pattern. The matter is with Debovoys and find it and put it into the system for the person. And so it's not erasing anything right now, but it's expediting the roles of your contract management professionals, your matter management administration professionals. It's getting them working 20 to 50 to 80% faster and their heads starting to pop above water and be able to handle more volume or a little more scale or a little more higher value thinking because they're looking around now and not lost in, in the data entry. Duke, what do you think on the future here? Is it AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning? Is it going to set the next revolution? Definitely. With the use of natural language processing, supervised machine learning, really kind of training the software to interpret data in a more accurate and useful way. I've seen that being applicable to, for example, invoice review. So instead of relying on the software looking at UTBMS codes, being able to really review the narratives that were being submitted by the attorneys on the law firm side and really being able to determine any violations to your billing guidelines, for example, what is being done by the attorney around the activities and the, the time spent, and then kind of being able to use that data and convert it in a way that would be beneficial to you from a reporting perspective. So definitely lots of application of AI in the recent kind of e-billing software that I've seen recently. AI and ML is going to give us a quantitative way to measure a qualitative knowledge work world of legal, right? These are words, people. This is a words world. They're talking between outside and inside counsel, and it'll speed up the quantification of. We saw this paragraph 27,000 times AIML can say, I think what's going on in this paragraph is X. And then a team like mine can count X and go, wow, we did X 27,000 times legal. Did you know that? And when they see it in that 50,000 foot view, they go, wow, no. And new insights. It's really something. It's like the abacus of the future. Because I look at legal ops and tech as accounting function. It's all about the data. It's all about metrics, dashboarding them, giving them back to legal to make better decisions or us to clean up a process, make a move faster. And it's all an abacus, one tick at a time. I think that's great, Jen. I like the metaphor. Well, Duke, Eric, I think we've covered all grounds here today from the history of matter management out to the future, what to expect next. And the takeaway is data via workflows, 
and simplification people. Thank you both for joining the podcast. Thank you very much. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure talking to you both. Thank you for this great discussion. That about wraps up this episode of Clock Talk. Thank you to Eric and Duke for a great conversation. And thank you to EY Law for their sponsorship of this episode series. You can catch other Clock Talk EY Art of the Possible episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Until next time.